Hello and welcome. This is Mish Daniel from Revolve Commercial. I want to thank you for joining me on this podcast. We are going to be sharing with you some fantastic pieces of information. So whether you're driving or out walking your dog or just want to learn, I really appreciate you being here. And I commend you for taking the time out of your busy day to invest in your knowledge of the commercial property industry. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. And just for those newcomers, I help investors generate cash flow on autopilot by acquiring high yielding commercial properties to help you grow your successful portfolio. So let's get into it straight away. Hello and welcome again to one of these fantastic sessions uh, all about uh, fighting financial erosion. Today we are going to be talking to a very special guest that I'm going to introduce you to in a minute about how to keep your money from losing purchasing power. So we've received quite a couple of questions and queries from our audience um, and we're going to see whether we can answer them today with our special guest on uh, how does inflation affect my cash flow savings in the bank? Uh, how can I make money work smarter for me in the long run? What strategies can I use to grow my wealth despite high interest rates? My name is Mish Daniel, as you know, and I have been involved in commercial real estate for 35 plus years. Um, and I am all about helping you find answers and grow your wealth. I would like to introduce you to a very special guest with me today, James Wrigley, Principal at First Financial. And James, you would be a financial planner, but you're a very different financial planner. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Mish. Thanks for inviting me along to have a chat. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a financial advisor. The, the business that I'm a part owner of and, and, and work in is called First Financial. We're, uh, we're based in Melbourne, in, in Victoria. I so I you know I've worked in financial advice for a long time. Now. I was talking to someone just earlier this morning, so it's nearly fifteen years that I've been here. Whole range of different roles in kind of support support type roles, but then for you know for the bulk of that that fifteen years working as a financial advisor with a range of different clients, and and most of the clients that I work with fit into one of two uh, categories, I guess demographics, whatever you want, whatever you want to call it. There's uh, there's a, there's a large part of the clients that are they're kind of knocking on the door of retirement. They're saying they're coming in saying, "Hey, James, either I retired yesterday or I was made redundant," or they're they're saying, "Okay, we've got a couple of years of work ahead of us, but really we're trying to work out how this kind of countdown to retirement." And and so we're working with them to make the best use of the assets and things that they might have accumulated up until that point. If they do have a couple of years of of work ahead of them, what are some of the smart things that they can be doing to to get to there? To ultimately help them transition through to retirement and live a and live a really comfortable uh, lifestyle. Um, then there's the other other group of clients that I work with that are that same type of person, but they're they're probably 15 years younger, um, late late 30s, early 40s, uh, often uh, you know families, kids, mortgages, all of these kind of things. But they're they're earning big incomes. They've bought a house. They might have bought some. Some 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 property, whether it's residential, whether it's commercial, their super balances are starting to get up, and they're, and they're getting to a point saying, "What do we do next?" You know, we've we've done the things that we think we're supposed to do, but no. but what do we do next? Uh, someone that I was just talking to earlier said, you know, had, had this kind of wish list, and he said the problem is the wish list keeps growing, and there's lots of different <laughs> options. There's lots of different options there, and we've got the assets to support it, but we need some help as to to try and prioritize some of this and then bring it bring it to life. So. Yeah, a, a lot of work with these high-income families in that, you know, early forties type age bracket through to through to their kind of early fifties, and then also a whole lot of work with people that are right at the very end of their working lives, okay. uh, trying to make the most of journey. their retirements. It's uh, it's full journey end to end. So it's basically, it doesn't really matter where you are in in your life cycle, uh, in your adult life cycle. Um, you're working with them and you're coming up with the, the strategies. Now, I just wanted to say to the audience that, um, that we actually met on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, James does these wonderful little videos on TikTok, and I hope you're going to share some of that with us today. Yeah, so TikTok's um, been extraordinary for, uh, for you know, 
building a building a, a like a, a community of people that that like what I'm talking about and it's grown quite quickly yeah. fortunately off the back of that we get you know a lot of opportunity to speaking to you today if it wasn't for TikTok so uh yeah. lots of lots of quirky things come about from that as well as uh, a whole of uh client inquiries which is which is nice that's great well you're going to share some of your uh, your quirky little TikTok uh, stuff yeah. with us today. Yeah. But uh, let's dive straight into it. And um, we've put together uh, a couple of questions and areas to talk about. Um, and one of the things that um, we're looking at is hidden costs of inflation, high inflation rates. Now, um, you know, just from your perspective, um, high inflation rates, what to do with it? Save money in the bank? Are we losing purchasing power? Um, you know, uh, from from my perspective, of course, I say if you've got if you've got money sitting in the bank, man, you are sitting on on a, a gold mine that is eroding, and we'll we'll have a chat about that um, uh, yeah. shortly. But um, what's your what's your take about uh, people that are sitting on money in the bank? See. So I guess the starting point is that everyone should have some level of money in the bank, and 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 different amounts for different people, um, but. But ultimately, you need to understand that as we're in a high interest rate environment, yes, and as a consequence, interest rates have gone up a whole lot. So you kind of sit there looking at it, I'm getting 4% on my term deposit. Some of the banks at the time that we're recording this, some banks are offering low 5% for some of their high interest savings accounts on a, on a bit of an introductory offer. Uh, these, these deals come about uh, in the hope that people are forgetful in that you'll put your money in there for three months or four months and you get a nice interest rate for the first the first three or four months and then you forget about it and then all of a sudden the interest rate drops away. Now, the interest rate drops away a whole lot. That's not great. But then particularly when we're in an environment where inflation's at 5% or 6% or you know whatever it might be at the moment, as much as you're earning a high interest rate, you're actually going backwards on that money. So so we have a particular approach around how do we recommend clients invest their money where they have, we, we want to set aside some money in sitting in cash that, that yes, it's sitting in cash. Yes, you're earning just some bank interest on it. Yes, it's going backwards from, a, from, an, a, from an inflation perspective, but roughly about 12 months worth of what you think you might need to live off. This is a, like, like a, for a retired person to say, okay, if you've got this cash in the bank, you want to set aside a you know best part of about a year's worth of your expenditure sitting in cash, and then start to do s- some more interesting things with the other money. So investing that into shares, into property, into other high interest earning investments, these kind of things, so that you're starting to earn a real return on that. In the short term, you're covered from some cash in the bank, but then you've got this this group of assets that is hopefully growing for you and generating a, an, an income over time that that you can be using to live off. So it's a little bit like um, I was chatting to my daughter a little while ago and she collects uh, all her silver, the family silver in a little money jar. How much is this worth? And she counted it up and said $15. And I said, it's worth nothing. It's worth absolutely nothing. Money has to be used in order for it to be worth something. So, so long as it's sitting in a jar like this, it's worth nothing. It might be worth 15 bucks to her, but to me, I said to her, Gina, that money is worth over $100 to me. And mm. she, she was asking why. I said, well, because what I would do is I would take that money and make it work for me. And if it's working for me, it's going to be working and earning interest. And that's why it's worth more than 15 bucks to me. <laughs> so, yeah. so, the moral of the story being, if you've got it, make it work for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I've, I've put a little um, screenshot up of uh, something that we did a little while ago, and we've done an analogy of um, if you've got four hundred dollars, let's uh, four hundred thousand dollars. Let's say you've got four hundred thousand dollars in the bank, okay? Um, and what we've done is we've worked out if you were to invest that in a commercial property at seven percent, uh, you you're getting a rental income of seventy thousand. You're paying a mortgage. I'm saying around about five point eight percent. It's obviously that's changeable. Um, you're earning $35,200 per annum. Now, what we've done is I've drop it, dropped it into a little incremental increase because on average you're getting an incremental increase on your $70,000 per annum. And in your third year, you can see you've gone up to 4%. 
which has affected your, your increased rent. Now, just to go back, if you're purchasing a, a property at a hundred, um, sorry, a million dollars, within three years, that property is going to be worth $1.213 million. Okay, so this is what I mean by making your money work for you. So out of 400000 within three years, you can buy yourself a property for a million dollars, and within three years, that property would be $1.213 million. Okay, now if we have a look at the, the, the second little schedule that I put in there, is if you take $400,000 and you put it into the bank, and we've applied inflation, we've implied, applied tax, and we've applied what the value of your cash would be worth and the loss per annum. So uh, adjusting we, it for inflation. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It, we're adjusting it, adjusting it for inflation. I'm not looking at tax. I'm not looking at anything else. These are just raw figures. So if we have a look at the fifth year of money invested, 400,000, you've taken 400,000, you've invested it. Within five years, it's worth 1.312 million. Whereas if you've got it sitting in the bank for five years, you have lost 53,842. Yeah, big difference, isn't it? So you've got the the um, the value of that property to sort of get to that 1.2 number that you mentioned, and then the five years at 1.312, you've you've got the value of that property growing at 6% per annum to get it, um, gets it up there. So it's the, beauty of, the beauty of compound returns, isn't it? Beauty of compound returns, and if you have a look at the your increased uh, cash rate, I haven't even given you a cash rate over here of uh, eighty one thousand. Your money is now paying you. You know, your money really is working, and this is a this is a true example of making your money work for you as opposed to you working for your money. It's a little bit like uh, our dear friend Warren Buffett. What does he say about uh, money? Today, people who hold cash equivalents feel comfortable. They shouldn't. They have opted for a terrible long-term asset, one that pays virtually nothing and is certain to depreciate in value. At the beginning of the show, I promised that I was going to give you a couple of free gifts. If you go to our website, you can click on the Wealth Grow Plan. We've created a simple eight-step system for you to walk through. If you want to know if you qualify for a commercial property and how you can move into a commercial property, we also offer you a membership of the VIP Investor Picks. This is roughly plus minus 20 of the top properties that I personally have selected. These properties are shortlisted from at least about 100 properties that we view every single month and you can click on that list and become a member of that VIP investor list and that just flies into your email every single month. We also have for you a due diligence checklist. This is what you would need if you're looking at viewing a property. So it's a little checklist that you can go along and uh, what sort of questions to ask agents, what questions to ask tenants. It's jam-packed with information about what to look out for in the building and or legals, what to, what to do and what to ask for. Last but not least, we also have a free strategy session. Now this is a 30-minute session with one of my strategists to help you answer your questions. This is an opportunity to see if you qualify for a commercial property and how to move forward. So, with that said, how do you make your money work for you? Opportunity and adversity. I mean, I, I, I'm always looking at, um, again, how can you make your money work for you and understanding the various different opportunities. And I'm not saying commercial real estate is, is, is the beginning and the end of every single opportunity. There's a multitude of opportunities um, in terms of investing. And you've said so yourself, in real estate, commercial real estate, um, various different funds. Personally, I'm, I'm very much a bricks and mortar type person. I do like my real estate, so I do tend to, to err towards that a hell of a lot more. What would you say, James, uh, besides real estate, what would be other alternatives? There's really three main choices. You've got cash in the bank and term deposits and those kind of things all, all, all lumped together. You've got the bricks and mortar property, which may either be residential property or commercial properties. Uh, and then you've got investing into share markets. They're, they're your three main main choices. Now, there's you know, crypto and all the rest of it depends who who who's listening and who who catches this. 
but your, your three main choices are really that that kind of cash term deposit type space property uh, and and then shares they they're each going to have their pros and cons um some are you know, some of them for example the, the property like that example that you just put up before uh, investing into property lends itself much easier to that that leverage where you use your cash you borrow some money from the bank and then you you go and buy the bigger asset investing into property assets the whole banking system lends itself much, much more easily to to that type of thing rather than uh, borrowing money to buy shares. It, it, it's possible, but uh, but uh, not as easily done. I guess is probably the way to to put it as as it is for the for the property market. Um, and I mean, you you need to have a little bit of grit on your teeth to get out there and go and do um, you know buy your own properties. And and most certainly if you're in your um, you know in your thirties and your forties. It's it's the most fantastic vehicle to build your wealth through. Because bearing in mind that um, in the property cycles worldwide, uh, in fact, Warren Buffett, together with Ray Dalio and a couple of other um, names, uh, uh, top names in finance, have done research and they found that across all all um, entities, um, all investment vehicles real estate was probably the only asset that continues to grow in value. So they did research over 100 years and they went back 500 years and it takes its ups and its downs across all markets. I'm talking about various different countries as well. As we have a, a growth of population, we have a demand in um in real estate and that's what drives real estate ultimately you know through Absolutely. all the wars after the wars whatever it is all the downs all the ups that's that's kind of where it is uh, it's, it's a great vehicle so we were talking about compounding interest <laughs> maybe just compounding like maybe just explaining what it is so you know lots of people hear about this compounding and i get video i, I get comments on some of my tiktok videos you mentioned tiktok before uh people saying oh, i had it how do I move my superannuation into a into a compound return investment option or something like that? And 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 compound returns is just this idea of earning interest on top of the interest that you already earned, or earning a a growth rate on top of the growth rate that you already earned. That that spreadsheet with the numbers that you had on there before was you had a six percent growth rate in the in the property. So you buy a million dollar property, it goes up by six percent at the end of year one. It's worth whatever it's worth, and then if it if it grows at another six percent for that second year, you're you're earning six percent not only on your initial investment, but you're also earning six percent on the increase in the value that you earned in the first year, and then and then in the second year. And if you if you put those numbers into a in into like a spreadsheet or something, nothing happens for a long period of time. It's nothing, 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 and then all of a sudden, you know, all, all of the gains are made right at the very end. So it, it really does then reinforce this idea of doing something but doing something now rather than waiting um because the yeah the, the the major returns and the compounding come come towards the end not at the, not in the beginning nothing happens at the start absolutely and it's 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 uh, as you say i mean um and it's not necessarily one or two years it could it could actually start um uh, growing exponentially within four or five years and the longer you keep them i always say that about uh the, the assets, um, you know, real estate assets as well. Um, I, I believe in collecting because uh, mm-hmm. those assets always go up in value, you know, and um, so does your money, your 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 investments, and it's the same as compounding interest, exactly the same. Yeah, that's it. You want to be buying whatever it is that you're buying, residential property, commercial property, some some shares and something. You, you, you want to be doing it with a view that whatever it is that you're buying, you're, you're holding that for a long period of time. It's not what is this worth next year or the year after. It's what is this going to be worth in 10, 15 years' time because that's where that's where the money's made if you can afford to hold it for that period of time rather than, hey, you might get lucky in 12 months' time. There's some some event completely beyond your control happens and you have a bit of a windfall, but that's pretty few and far between. But strategies can be um, used to grow your wealth despite high interest rates and inflation. Interest rates come, interest rates go. Inflation comes, inflation goes. Like they, they, we, we go through these cycles over time. And 
you'll always come across, there's always going to be a particular reason why you shouldn't buy that property, why you shouldn't start to invest in that share portfolio, why you shouldn't do something. But but time and time again, we get five years down the track, 10 years down the track, and you go, oh, well, wouldn't it have been really good if I had have done this thing back then? And, and so, so, so time is a time is a magical thing. Time is is, is arguably probably the biggest influence on the success of your investing uh, outside of anything else. You know, you you might get lucky, as I said, on investing in a particular asset at a particular time that 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 does well not long afterwards. But 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 time time smooths out these ups and downs. So you're talking before about the the property prices, they go up and down, these these kind of cycles. But the longer you can afford to hold it, you get this upward, it is, you get this upward trend in the value of the asset. Sure, in the short term, you're going to get some bouncing around, but you get this upward trajectory. So I'd, in, I'd encourage people that regardless of what might be dominating the news cycle at the moment, because I can guarantee once inflation's under control and we're not talking about inflation and interest rates anymore there's going to be something else that we're talking about and if you really let that get in the way of you uh, making some smart decisions with your money you're you're not really going to get ahead at, at you know, potentially the rates at, at, at which you might be wanting to get ahead to or, or you might not be getting to the level that you that you're aspiring to so if you're investing in a high interest rate environment like we are now you you need to uh, you need to do that in, in in a way that you can afford to continue to hold those assets. So the you know the, the the most common pressure that people are coming under at the moment is is interest rates are going up, um, then the uh, the the rate at which they have to make loan repayments is also going up. So you need to make sure you've got some buffers in place around the cash flow that you've got, the income that, that's coming in, your calculations around the serviceability of the loans, expectation of rental income that you're going to get coming in, but then also your ability to be able to um, uh, to, to hold to continue to hold that asset through through external shocks, and and, and that you know the, in in the space of property, the most common one there is you you may find yourself in periods of time where you don't have a tenant. And the bank doesn't care that you don't have a tenant. They still want their loan repayment every month. Bad luck. Now, if if you've spent all of your money buying these assets and you have nothing that's liquid left, you're stuck. The bank's going to come come along. They're going to put a sign out the front saying property for sale. They want their money back and off you go. That That's going to be detrimental to you. And nine times out of 10, that's going to happen at a time when it's not ideal for you to be selling that asset. Well, it's very interesting that you're saying that because, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the things that we do when we're finding properties is that mitigation of risk. So we have to look, you know, we, we look at these assets with that mitigation of risk in mind. Now, in commercial real estate, you're buying property and you, you generally, you know, if you're buying property less than 6% and it's commercial at less than, than 6%, I'm saying, hey, happy days. Hopefully you've got a 10 or 15% uh, um, year lease on that. Um, because you really do need your your market growth, your capital growth, your incremental increases and all of that. Um, but we look at a property and we say, well, how long does it take to rent up in that area? And do you have a, I call it a slush fund of, let's say it's, it's, a, it's an area that takes six months, which is a long time in, in commercial. Mm-hmm. Um, you, can you sustain yourself for six months? You know, so it's, it's all part of that mitigation of risk. But yeah, you're 100 percent right. Um, you know, and you come. You had it on on one of the, the slides before, and we, we we kind of briefly touched on it. This this idea of um, you know, investing during periods of adversity. That there's you know there's at different points in time. There's always going to be some people that are struggling for whatever reason. There's also going to be some people that are that are doing really well for for particular reasons. If you can just afford to be able to hold that asset through periods of adversity, then you're, you're you're far more likely to have a really positive return in the long run. So it's having this slush fund, exactly to your point, um, to, to 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 get you through it. And and now look, eventually interest rates will start to go back down again. Everyone's hoping that'll change the landscape for investing. But uh, you, you you want to be 
you want to still be investing through that through that market cycle for sure. It does. I mean, and 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 those assets do change. Uh, um, people ask me those questions. What can we do with with the assets if things change? Well, we always look at an asset, and again, I look at exit strategies. We'll look at commercial assets, and and one of the first questions is, what can we do with this asset if the tenant wants to downscale or mm. wants a rent reduction or wants something? Firstly, we need to ask why. What can we do? And um, we're always looking at assets that we can split up into various different units, smaller units, so that you can, you know, um, keep your tenant. You've still got cash flow coming in. You're still, you're still paying your, your mortgage, and now you're renting off other spaces and generally for higher, you know, higher rentals. And that yeah, comes yeah. But, so it's a matter of working around with what you have as opposed to just getting stuck, you know, um, and not being able to... Um, to pay down those debts. Hmm. It's, it's just being giving some thought to your investing rather than just blindly investing and hoping for the best. You've you've got some contingencies built into there, which is which yes. is absolutely what you want to be doing when you're starting to invest. Yes. So um, structured borrowing, uh, planning strategies, a pro, um, uh, strategic approach to taking on debt, investment, generate return, um, and cost of borrowing. If you're going to borrow some money for for your investing activities you 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 want to give some thought as to how you're doing that um uh so whether it's you're borrowing money for your own home you're buying your first investment property you're you're you know accessing equity to to um to 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 buy the next you you really want to give that some thought it's not just a, a case of how much money will the bank lend me and then I'll borrow all of that and then off I go you know we we're talking about risk management and so forth um, before and making sure that you've got some some slush funds available, you've got some uh, some means to can you repurpose that asset for for something else if that if the current tenant that you've got there um, isn't in there. So so you want to just as much as you will you know give your hopefully give the asset selection part of your investing journey a a whole lot of thought. You really need to give the borrowing part of that investing journey. A whole lot of thought as well. As we, um, I, I come across clients somewhat regularly where they, um, you know, there, there's certain things that they've done, and they say, "Oh, you know, I've got all this debt over here. How, how do I make things more efficient and claim tax deductions and so forth?" And in, in a roundabout way, I have to say, "Well, you kind of can't. You've, you've gone down this path, and you've ended up stuck in this path, unless you go selling assets, repaying debts, and then starting again." There's not a lot that you can do about it. So you want to give that 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 lending structure. This is the point that we're making a whole lot of thought and, and work with a mortgage broker that can that can really help you do that. And yeah, and, and uh, I mean one of the strategies is is equi- equity release because uh, as you know, the longer you hold on to the asset, the better you know, the more it, it, uh, it values. <clears throat> and hopefully um, you've got good tenants in your, in there that, that value up as well. But you've got to be you got to be a little bit careful with equity release as well, particularly in the current market, you know. Yeah, look, absolutely. So, you know, all of the banks, uh, they're in, because interest rates have increased so much, their serviceability calculators that they use, which is a, you know, a calculation of what income is coming in and then and then how much does the bank think you can afford to to repay that, that that's reduced significantly for a lot of people and if you think of it you know there's there are there are a lot of people that rolling off fixed rate mortgages typically on their own home but but rolling off fixed rate mortgages at two percent they're going to be lumped with a six percent interest rate on their on their mortgage they've bought investment properties in that in that process releasing equity uh and they're stuck there's this kind of idea of mortgage prison. I think I, I, I saw saw on, on LinkedIn at one stage, where the serviceability doesn't stack up anymore. That you can't actually get out of what you what you've got. The bank the bank under current assessment criteria wouldn't lend you the money that they already lent you four or five years ago, and uh, you're stuck with that bank. You can't refinance away from it. So. We're seeing yeah. a lot of that at the moment. I mean, we we we're really seeing a lot of it, um, and a lot of people, are, as you say, a lot of people are coming off those two percent loans, um, and now looking at it, and, and the bank saying, "Well, you know, we're up to five percent." So, um, mm. uh, you know, 
pay up, make a plan. That's it. Yeah. Or you, you know, you got some people selling assets. I've had I've had a couple of people come into the office that and they're, they're, there's one that always sticks out in my mind that and they, this is many months ago. They they were they were looking at it saying, you know, we've we've got our particular home and uh you know we, we want to live in this house. We don't want to have to move somewhere else. We're we're doing our numbers and and once these loans come off fixed rates, we can't afford to keep the house and the two investment properties that we've got. Mm. Um and so they ended up selling one of the investment properties. This is probably six or nine months ago, well before the, the fixed period came off. They were wanting to try and get ahead of a worry. And I don't know that this is actually going to play out now. They wanted to get ahead of a worry that that there would be lots of people coming off fixed rate mortgages that couldn't afford things and there'd be this flurry of of houses coming onto the market pushing prices down. So they wanted to get ahead of that and um yeah, as I said, sold off. Are you getting quite a lot of clients coming through to you with the same sort of thing? I mean, um, not, getting- not uh, for, the, for the most part, where they've got uh, lots of properties and so forth, and they've gone down, they've gone down that strategy of releasing equity, like we, we're kind of talking about now. They're a lot of them saying, "Look, we're just going to batten down the hatches, try and get through this. We think the next twelve months is probably going to be the the toughest period for us, and then we'll we'll get out the other side." This this I mean, we we haven't discussed, but that there's some some fairly significant changes to in, personal income tax rates coming next financial year. So from July 2024, something called stage three tax cuts, which will mean that income people earn between uh, forty five thousand dollars a year and two hundred thousand dollars a year will only be taxed at thirty percent on on every dollar of income you earn. Uh, and so for some of my clients, they're earning income well north of $200,000 a year. They've got all of these properties. They're getting negative gearing benefits and so forth, but their income's still still quite high. Those those clients are going to see several thousand dollars. I think it's something like ten dollars or $11,000 a year less tax that they'll pay on their employment income, which all of a sudden, if there's ten dollars or $11,000 a year more money coming in, another $1,000 a month, that means it's a whole lot more comfortable for them to hold all of the properties that they've got. So it's trying to, um, yeah, just get through this yeah. remainder of this tax year when we're under the current tax system and then hoping that the tax rules don't change before we get to July 2024 and uh, that will make life a little bit easier for them. There'll be oh, a, a few more dollars in there, yeah. Yeah, and I think for the majority of people that um, are certainly are listening to uh, this uh, report are probably below that that kind of threshold. You know, thinking about it and phew, roll on twenty twenty four. I think it's going to be a, a <laughs> an interesting time to go through. Yeah, that's it. Every everyone's going to save the 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 bulk of the working population of Australia is going to save quite yeah. a fair bit of money in these uh, in these changes to tax rates. Whether whether you're north of two hundred thousand dollars a year or, or or not, but everyone's going to save a bit of money through all of that. Well, it's uh, you can't say we're not li- uh, living in um, interesting times right now, are we? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> so um, we're going to talk a little bit about upgrading strategies, property upgrade strategies. You want to explain that a little bit to us? Yeah. So, so we we're talking before about this idea of you want to give where you're using borrowed money to to buy assets. Typically, property is is where that borrowed money is being being used. You want to give some thought as to how you're actually using that that borrowing and the repayment of those borrowings to achieve the things that you want to achieve in your life. And and one good example that uh, that I'm often answering questions about is uh, is their own home. And so an, so an easy an easy one to just explain how to kind of get this strategy mindset around how you're using debt is is this idea of what, what we call the property upgrade strategy. So, so that's where you own an existing house and you live in it uh, and you want to buy something else. So I've got my I've got some Lego blocks here. That, so I've, I've done a TikTok video on this that did really well and it was probably one of the one of the made ones that, that you saw and um, saw us talking about this. So for anyone that might be catching the uh, this on the podcast rather than watching the video, I've got, I've rated my kids Lego stash at home and I've got some Duplo box here, some some houses. There's a blue house and, and an orange house. So this idea of is just kind of this, this strategic thinking around how you're using debt to to your advantage. Uh, so this idea of 
the property upgrader strategy, as I call it, is 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 a good one to explain. So, imagine for a moment there's this this blue house that I've got. This is the one that you live in. You you bought that. It might be your first home. You've got a mortgage against it. So I've got some some yellow blocks here. One with a smiley face. Um, uh, some some yellow blocks here that to represent the mortgage that you have on on that home. And so you buy the house. You think you're doing the right thing. You're paying down the loan, and so these blocks are disappearing. You're slowly paying down the loan. You're paying it down. That's fantastic. Then, then you get to a stage where you where you say, actually, we want to we want to upgrade our home for for whatever reason. We, we want to buy this other house somewhere else. Maybe it's a bigger house. Maybe it's in a better suburb. Maybe you're needing to move into state for work or whatever it is. For some other reason, you want to buy this other house, which is this orange one that I've just brought up onto the screen. But you've done a really good job of paying down this 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 loan. You have next to nothing outstanding on the home loan from your original house. And you want to go to the bank and do an equity release that we we're talking about before. So that's where you access some of the some of the value of that property. The bank will lend you up to 80% of the value of this original house to then go use that money to go and buy another property with. The problem is if you're doing this equity release, so if we use these yellow blocks again, so you're borrowing money against your original house, you're using that to pay your deposit and you know the the, the a lump sum of money towards the new house that you're moving into. You've borrowed all of this money against the investment property. So you think, okay, that's great. I've got my borrowings against my investment property. The problem is when it comes to the tax deductibility of the interest on that borrowed money, it has nothing to do with what is the asset secured against, sorry, what is the lending secured against. It has everything to do with what did you do with that borrowed money? So if you've taken money from the original home that you're turning into an investment property, you're going to start to collect rent from that and you've used that borrowed money to go and buy a new house to live in, you can't claim any tax deductions for that. So you end up in this really horrible tax position where you start to rent out the old house, you're collecting income coming in from that. You have next to nothing in the way of interest cost as a tax deduction that you can claim against that. So you're paying tax on all of the income that you're earning on the old house that's now the investment property. And then you're having to pay all of these loan repayments on the new property that you don't get any tax deduction for the interest cost. Whereas if you had have given some thought as to you know, where, where are we heading and what is it that we actually want to do? And, and if on the horizon at some point was actually upgrading their house and we'd really like to keep the old one, the, the far better strategy would have been to actually use an offset account instead. So if we go back to say you've got these three blocks worth of loan, if this red this red block that I'm bringing up now represents an offset account, so a bank account that's linked to your home loan, that rather than earning interest on that bank account, you save interest on your loan instead. So the bank doesn't pay you interest, you save interest. You can build up this offset account and you can, if you wanted to, bring it all the way up so that it's level with your home loan if you have the means to be able to save that much money. Then when you do this up, Question, just just for the hmm. audience now, that offset account you say you're building it up. What are you building it up? Uh, is it is it being built up on market growth? Is it being built up on the value of your home, or is it the refinance of your home that they're saying, okay, your house you bought your house for five hundred thousand, you now uh, your house is now worth a million dollars, and we'll give you five hundred thousand offset while your home loan is still worth whatever it is that you've paid down. No, it's it, it, it's different again. So so the offset account is is really just it's just an everyday bank account that's being built up by you saving money into there. So you earn your wage or whatever it is that you do, you earn some income, you spend yeah. some living, and whatever's left over is just building up in this in this in this bank account. So you're not borrowing any more money at this stage. You're 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 building up this bank account. So instead of paying down the loan, which we think is always a great idea to do to pay off your non-tax deductible debt, pay it down. In in this strategy where you're planning on buying another house to move into and you want to keep the old one, paying actually paying off your loan is a horrible strategy. You don't you really don't want to pay it off. You, you instead of paying it off, you want to you want to retain as much of that debt as possible. But for the time that you're living in the house, you want to use your offset account instead. So put all of your savings that you're that you're making over time into your offset account. So you're building up the balance of this offset account. Then all of a sudden, when you want to go and buy the, the, the bigger house, you pull your cash out of the offset account. So if you use these, these red blocks, as I pulled the cash out of the offset account, I've used that to go and pay something, a part of the cost towards the purchase of the new house. 
I go and get an ordinary mortgage to borrow the rest secured against this, this new house. And I've left the debt outstanding against the old house that's now turned into an investment property. It's the same amount of borrowed money because I was either going to pay down the original home loan, then access equity to go and buy the new house, or I've left some of the loan there and instead taken cash and and, and bought the new house. So your, your total debt position doesn't change, but instead you've left a whole lot of that debt secured against the old house, which you get tax deductions for, uh, and instead you've lessen the amount of money that you've borrowed to buy the new house that you don't get any tax deductions for. So so this is one example of just trying to be strategic with how you're using the bank's money to to kind of leverage up your asset position if that's what you're trying to do, but at the same time trying to be tax efficient with with the way that you're doing it. And this is classic where... um... Uh, thank you for explaining that. By the way, I think that's that's great. Uh, love your explanation, and you and you just make it very simple by showing the graphics of how you do that. <laughs> but uh, uh, I often talk about uh, using other people's money, and what you've just explained there is exactly that. You you you're effectively using other people's money because yes, you are. You've got your offset account. You are using that offset account to buy a new property, but again. You're leveraging. You you you're taking a loan. Uh, you're loaning from the bank, and bearing in mind that when you loan from the bank, um, where does that money come it's from? It's from everybody else that's leaving their money in the bank. That's it. They're lending it out to you, and so yeah, you can do it in a in a much much more tax efficient manner. Whereas, you know, I unfortunately come across quite a lot of people that think they've done an amazing job, and they have. They've paid off their home loan. And then they want to go and buy another house somewhere else. And they say, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep the old house because we don't have any mortgage on it. So, well, that's great. But uh, you're going to be up for some pretty big tax bills all of a sudden now once you're, once you're uh, starting to, to rent that property out. Yeah. Uh, we've also, I've, I've had a couple of clients who have come through who have who own five, six, seven, eight properties and they've got no mortgage against the property. Um, and their biggest problem is they can't, buy a commercial property because they have no debt. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's quite bizarre because it doesn't sound like, um, you know, they are asset rich, cash poor, um, and without having any debt, it doesn't give them any leverage to go and buy a property. So I always say to them, look, go and put mortgages on one or two of your properties, pull the, 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 the cash flow out of that, what you've just explained, use that cash flow to go and buy more properties. And that's the smartest way. It's leveraging. Yep. So um, that's amazing. I mean, what you've what you've just explained there, I think, is is uh, just it's absolute gold. And I think uh, a lot of people that own uh, residential properties and trying, you know, to pay down those debts, um, think again. Hopefully, this has given them something to think about. Um, hopefully. Um, so we're also going to talk a little bit about self-managed super funds. Um, that is definitely not my area of expertise. I'll leave you to talk about that. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it looks so. So, so people that are interested in in investing into property, quite often they have heard of you can use your superannuation to go and buy a property, uh, and 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 in order to do that, you need to use something called a self-managed superannuation fund. Uh, they are. They are relatively easy to set up. Um, there's, there, you know, there's lots of online groups that, that, that will do it for you. I'd, I'd, I'd really encourage you to do that through a proper accountant as much as it might cost you a whole lot more. Uh, uh, it might cost you a bit more to set it up. Uh, a lot of the online groups that if you, you know, if, if, if the operations of your self-managed super fund fit into a nice little box, then it works well for their, their, their processes. But if you try to do anything outside of their little box, it's um it, uh, it it doesn't quite work. So so I guess the, the the big thing that people need to understand if they are going down the route of setting up a self-managed superannuation fund is that all of a sudden you are the one that is responsible for the operations and the management and the investment of that money that's in there. There are there are laws that you need to abide by and you need to comply with. Uh, in order to keep the operations of your self-managed super fund up to scratch, it gets audited every year. That auditor, if they if they find that, that things aren't being done, tax returns aren't being lodged on time, you haven't got certain minutes and resolutions and things on file, 
they actually have an obligation to report you and and it and the if you get things wrong in your self-managed super fund, the penalties can be huge. You can lose half of the value of your super fund in tax. You can, you know, you could end up in jail for for certain things. So it, it's not it's not an area to to just blindly go into. It's it, it's fantastic for the right people. Um, but yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a warning warning up front. Now, in terms of in terms of property, if if you're wanting to invest into property. Uh, with your superannuation, yeah, you really have to have a self-managed superannuation fund. Um, so uh, you can, you are able to uh, use your use the money, the, the cash that you might have in superannuation already, uh, go to the bank and borrow some money, and and then you can use that to to buy a property if if that's what you want to do. And so the contributions that go in from your work, the rent that you that you earn from that property, uh, can all go towards paying off the loan. Now there are a lot of there are a lot of rules and regulations. You said there are a lot of rules and regulations from a financial point of view. There are a lot of rules and regulation from a property point of view of what you can do and what you can't do with uh, properties in a self-managed super fund. Um, yeah, I, I get asked a lot whether people can use their self-managed super fund together with their savings. So in other words, let's say they've got 500,000 in the self-managed super fund and they've got 500,000 in their savings. They want to put it together and they want to buy one, one great property. Hmm. Now, I know it can be done, but it's very complicated. Yeah, you, so yeah, there's a couple of different ways that like that, if we, if we use that example that You've got five hundred in super. You've got five hundred thousand dollars in cash, and you want to go and buy a million dollar property. There, there are a couple of different ways that you can go about doing that. The the, the simplest way of, of doing that is uh, contributing the cash that you have within within certain limits. But but if you're a couple, for example, if there's two of you, you most people would be able to get most couples would be able to get five hundred thousand dollars of cash into superannuation. Uh, tax-free and and fairly easily, fa- fairly quickly. The downside of that is that that money is then trapped inside of the self-managed superannuation fund uh, until you're 60 and, and you meet a condition to be able to start to access that money. So you, you might not want to have that half a million dollars tied up for, for, for quite that for quite that long if you if you're well under 60 without having access to it. So that, that's the simplest way of doing it, contributing it and, and then and then buying a property. Another way of doing it is that uh, in, instead of going to the bank to borrow money, you yourself can be the bank. So uh, if it was the James Wrigley superannuation fund, then James Wrigley had the money in the bank. James Wrigley can can lend money. I can lend money to my own self-managed superannuation fund for the for the purposes of purchasing the pro- purchasing the property. Now, that, if you're lending money to your self self-managed super fund, are you are you lending at an interest rate? Absolutely. So so there are. There are strict requirements around the the length of that loan, how long the loan can be around for, the repayment schedule that you have to stick to, the interest rate that you have to pay. It it it's all prescribed to you. You you can't just make it up yourself. It needs to it needs to abide by. Yeah. It's it's what's called a related party loan. It needs to abide by this really strict schedule. Uh, but absolutely, it's it's possible to do so. So you, that could be, it could be James Wrigley, it could be James's family trust or some other entity of James that's related to me, could be the bank. And um, yes, the the the, um, the the self-managed super fund has to make principal and interest loan repayments uh, on a monthly basis uh, over a particular time period, a maximum time period, and, and the interest rate is prescribed. But but yes, it's possible for James to lend the money there. And is it very complicated to say something like this up? Not really, no. So so provided you provided you abide by the the uh, the, the the requirements that that are set down in, in the law, it's it's really not terribly complicated. You you would just need the lawyer. So you so you you yeah you establish yourself in your superannuation fund. You need a a conveyancer or a lawyer to help with the settlement of of that property. You would also need a lawyer to to draft up the the loan documents and so forth. So you have to have proper loan agreements and things in place. Um, it's not terribly difficult, but but you need to just have the right documentation in place, and then you need to abide by that repayment schedule that's uh, that's set out. And James, uh, 
another question with regards to that if you are if you are you've got an offset account um, and you've accumulated your 500k and you've got 500 in your self-managed super um, and you want to do the same principle can you do that with uh, on that basis you could so you could you could loan the money from your offset account into the self managed super fund you you could um there, there is there is another way of of doing it where you don't enter into a a loan agreement as such but your 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 self managed super fund and you personally or your other entity wherever the cash may be you jointly go and purchase the property together quite often you 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 might do that through through something called a unit trust and so you're superannuation fund contributes a certain amount of money and then you personally uh, contribute a certain amount of money as well to then go and buy the property under under that scenario this kind of unit trust structure uh the, the unit trust can't enter into in any in enter into any borrowing arrangements so that has to you have to have the cash between yourself and the superannuation fund to be able to purchase it but yeah there are there are lots of different ways of of doing it and and then the mate that you know why would you bother with all of these kind of hoops that I'm saying you might have to jump through to to, to make all of this happen? Really, it comes down to tax. You know, the, the superannuation pays a maximum tax rate of fifteen percent uh, on on capital gains on, on assets that are sold where the asset's been owned for more than twelve months. The capital gain is a flat ten percent. Capital gains tax is a flat ten percent, uh, and then ultimately, when you get to the retirement stage of superannuation. Uh, up to $1.9 million per person, you can have in tax-free pensions. So you you go and buy this property, for example, and uh, you get the compound growth that we were talking about before, you earn your nice rental income and so forth, but ultimately you then then use that asset once you've paid off the loan and and you're in this retirement phase, you use that asset to fund your retirement. And all of that that income that you're earning from the property passes through your self-managed super fund out to you entirely tax-free, whereas if you're owning those assets outside, you have to continue to pay tax on the rent that you receive. And, uh, I mean, the, the, and the great thing is uh, in, this, in the Australian system is that uh, everybody contributes to uh, super funds from an early, early age mm. and um, that can get transferred into your self-managed super fund along the way. I mean, if you decide, if, you, if you're working for an entity or, or whatever, uh, and decide to to start your own self-managed super fund at 35, 45, uh, wh- <clears throat> whatever age you decide to do that, um, that's the true benefit of maximising on your self-managed super and putting assets in there where um, you're going to have a tax-free uh, environment in your latter years. Exactly, yeah, that's um, it. I wanted to ask you a question with regards, um, let's say you're buying in the unit trust um, scenario where, mm. You've got uh, 50-50 uh, super fund and outside of the super fund. Now your your taxation on the tax on that asset per se, so your income, would be taxed in the entity in which those units are owned. Is that correct? correct? Yeah. The, 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 the income flows out to your self-managed super fund and whatever the other entity is that's part of that unit trust, it flows out to flows out to them. So it was 50-50, for example, half goes into the super fund at the concessional tax rate, half goes outside of, at, at the normal tax rates. Uh, and then you can uh, you, you can look to transfer if you if you wanted to over time, you can look to transfer the some of those 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 units in the unit trust. You can eventually look to move that into the self-managed super fund within some certain uh, right. some certain kind of contribution limits and so forth. So it's um it's it's a way of kind of making the transfer of that property somewhat divisible rather than typically a property is either you either own it or you don't but you can using this unit trust structure you can slowly move the ownership into the self-managed super fund if that's what you wanted to do well i think that's that's an area that a lot of people a lot of people are not sure about so i really appreciate you uh, talking about this and explaining it to us um, there's probably a hell of a lot more that we can. <laughs> nah. We can drill down a little bit more on that, but uh, today's not the day to do that. Let's just go through everything that we've spoken about and uh, a step-by-step plan to maximise your investment strategy. Um, we've we talk talking about uh, assets in your situation to review your current financial uh, standing, currently where you are, investment goals, 
your risk tolerance and your retirement objectives. Um, we've spoken about consulting professionals, seek advice, financial advice, property experts on self-managed super funds. Um, I certainly go to a specialist if, you, if you're wanting to do anything. Um, and the complexity of uh, what James and I have just been talking about with regards um, loaning um, uh, equity, buying in a self-managed super fund, putting the two together, buying bigger assets. So in other words, pooling all your, um, your equity effectively and growing that, growing your asset base. Uh, make sure that you do that with um, consultants and uh, professional, seek professional advice. Um, and then choosing your strategy based on your financial goals and advice from professionals. Choose be between investing, structures, borrowing, property, upgrading, le leveraging self-managed super funds. Now, um, James, I just want to say as a little disclaimer, um, all the information that we have gone through today, um, I would say um, this is a show where we're sharing information and uh, most definitely consult with uh, professionals. This is this this is not advice. We're not giving advice. We're talking about information over here. Um, and anything, any of these strategies that you that you are choosing to go ahead with, um, I highly recommend that you consult with professionals and um, before you you make any major changes. Absolutely agree. Yep. So we don't know who's watching, who's listening terribly much. We're kind of just talking general ideas here. If you do need some some help or some some support, reach out to a financial advisor, accountant, the property specialist, whatever might be appropriate for your particular circumstances. A huge default that a lot of people fall down on is they buy these fantastic assets. Well, I see it in commercial all the time. They buy great assets and they think, right, sit back and this is just going to run. Um, and I always say, no, actually, your work's just begun because you grow, you buy this great asset. And if you don't look after it and if you're not looking after your tenants, if you're not adding value and whatever, that's one of the biggest big, biggest mistakes. Um, and that is uh, make sure that your property management and that your managers are really ticking all the boxes for you. So it's a matter of monitor, adjust. And I'm sure you find that in, in, in the financial space as well, James. Hmm. Absolutely, it's not the the, uh, the plans aren't set and forget the uh, the the real value is where that comes to life in that you're constantly revisiting and checking in on it and, and making adjustments along the way because things will change the assumptions that were made originally some will hold and and, and others won't so you need to um, need to adjust for that. Yeah, adjust and check it, and 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 I always say, you know, it's 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 not like an ongoing job, uh, you know, that you've got to look at every single day, but most certainly every single year. Uh, go and review what your what your status is, where you are, what you can do, where you can adjust, where you can squeeze. Um, do those those equity release and start looking at it, and um, you know rinse and, and and review. If you'd like to get more information, reach out to revolvecommercial.com.au. Um, we have a fantastic um, wealth grow plan as well. It's a couple of questions that will take you through to see whether you qualify for. Uh, commercial real estate and you can always book a book a call uh, click on the QR code when you get there um, and reach out to us now uh, James where can people get hold of you if they'd like to know more information about you uh, the, the, I guess the, I'd, I'd encourage you to, to check out the first financial website which is firstfinancial.com.au uh, I'm, I'm on there as are all the other advisors that work here at First Financial, we're, we're quite active in, in terms of blog posts and things. So there's some regular updates that are going on there, different different topics and things. Uh, and, and then the other place, I'm I'm fairly active across a range of social media channels. So we spoke about TikTok. If you search my name, I'll, I'll probably come up there. LinkedIn, Instagram, they're probably the three main ones. There's a little bit on Facebook, but not but not so much. But yeah, you can find me on some of those social platforms and um, I, I do videos like that Lego one that I was just doing before uh, on, on a fairly regular basis. You uh, yeah, come along and, and have a listen. And uh, yeah, from my side, like I say, um, James does the most amazing little videos on TikTok. So um, if you're not interested, just go for the entertainment anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
we are going to um, put a lot, uh, James's contact details in the show notes. So um, feel free to reach out and um, let us know how, how it goes. And James, thank you again. Uh, you're a very, very busy man and I, I really respect uh, the time that you've given us. Um, I'm super grateful. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, this has been absolutely wonderful. It's a pleasure, um, Mish. Thank you for, uh, for, for inviting me along to, to have a chat this afternoon. Thanks yeah. for having me here. Thank you for joining us on the Revolve Commercial Property Podcast. Don't forget to join our private Facebook group, Cashflow on Autopilot with Revolve Commercial, where we share weekly updates on positive cashflow commercial properties currently on the market and how to acquire them. So go to Cashflow on Autopilot with Revolve Commercial or www.revolvecommercial.com.au.